Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Debo Zarco, episode number 60. Good day and welcome to another great week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And here we are, once again, the place where you will hear inspiring interviews with the courageous truth seekers of today's rapidly changing world. It is my humble honor to bring powerful conversations to you from the movers, the shakers, and the creators of an entirely new paradigm based on authentic expression, creative solutions, simplicity, truth, and love-based action. And by engaging with these conversations in our own lives, we're inspired to unplug from the breakdown of today's outdated paradigm and plug into the truth of our own uniquely authentic, compassionate, and purpose-driven essential nature. And my name is Debo Zarco, status quo crusher and passionate lover of life, here to welcome you to your bi-weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in breathtakingly beautiful coastal British Columbia, Canada. And I have reached another milestone this week with episode number 60. And it's taken me a little longer to get here since I've shifted the show from weekly to bi-weekly, but we're here. And I'm celebrating this week by releasing a very special interview with a very special man that I've been hanging on to since last October. But before I launch into this conversation, I'd like you to take a moment to consider the thousands of people around the globe who listen to and engage with the powerful conversations shared through this podcast. And I want you to think about the collective of women and men who are very obviously interested in conversations about transformation, critical thought, and social change, both on an individual level as well as on a collective level. Now, we may not know one another, and it's highly likely that we don't. Um, We don't know what we all look like. We don't know our social or economic status, our abilities, our likes, our dislikes. But the common thread is that we're all people who have an interest in personal evolution and in collective transformation with the intention to manifest peace. So that makes us all allies of the soul. And we're united not only by breath, but by a commitment to putting love above everything else. And very often in our, in our, uh, our depth of caring or in our activism, we can often feel very isolated and alone. And through this podcast, we have community. Now, maybe it's not physical community yet. I'm still figuring out ways, but we have energetic community. And I want you to also think of the millions of women and men who don't know about this podcast, who are committed to creating change within themselves, within their communities, within their countries, and throughout the world. 
And let's all just, you know, take a moment just with a breath even, and let's just energetically invite them into our hearts as well. And as we continue on the path to do the transformative work within ourselves and outside of ourselves, we're going to continue to rely on our allies, both the the allies that we see and the unseen allies to give us the support and guidance needed so that we can continue to do this work in the most mindful and compassionate way possible. The most important thing is to know that you're not alone in your interests, in your passions, in your challenges, in your fears, in your hopes, in your dreams, and in your deep desire for a better world. So my mission is to create a safe space where truth seekers like yourself don't feel so alone and where we can be inspired to become the person we've always been meant to be that's, uh, It doesn't bypass, but just eliminates the conditioning that holds us hostage to smallness. So think about this. Energetically, we are a tribe. We're a a unique community of people who care to live more, give more, be more, and love more. I know you've heard me say that before, but that's something that uh, bears repeating. And we all have our own struggles and fears, but this podcast space and my website and my mailing list have all been created to help you feel more at ease with everything that is real for you, your strengths, your vulnerabilities, your fears, your frustrations, and everything that gives you joy. Can't forget that, of course. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about repeatedly on this show is the paradigm of separation. And it's no big news that we live in strange times. And um, if we look at the world on a macro level, things seem to be, uh, they appear to be more violent, more selfish, and more separate. And belief systems and paradigms are breaking down all around us. Fear and oppression seem to be on the rise from those who are in power And they're genuinely concerned about the changes occurring. And you can see that with how they continue to try and oppress us. But on a micro level, there are grassroots movements, community initiatives, co-creative efforts, and creative solutions that are springing up all over the place to create progressive change that is more in line with the essence of humanity and what lives in our hearts. So this is really great news. Now there's still a long way to go, but positive change is really happening. And one of the things that I've noticed is uh, one of the biggest issues is how we have collectively bailed out on compassion. And this is one issue that is being addressed by so many of these grassroots movements that I've spoken about. And compassion is something that I hold people accountable for with, uh, with the grassroots movement of this podcast, for instance. So I know that each and every one of us is so much more than who we've been conditioned to be. And all of the ridiculous reasons, excuses, and justifications for the crap that we've normalized to justify the choices that we make that are so damaging to ourselves and others... I mean, personally, I just don't buy it and I won't let people get away with it either. And that's the, that's the coach in me, I guess. So I don't let people wimp out, especially when it comes to something so serious and important. Like compassion is important. 
And when we wimp out on compassion, we just cause so many serious problems. When we wimp out on love, we destroy ourselves and the collective. When we wimp out on everything that matters, we experience the repercussions that we are currently witnessing in today's world. Like, you know, climate change, violence, wars, species lost, lost at uh, frightening rates, depression, addiction, etc., etc. You know, all that stuff, all that stuff that we've normalized. And really, it all amounts to the breakdown of civilization as we know it. But despite it all, despite it all, I still hold so much faith and belief in the human spirit, as does everyone I speak with on this podcast. So that's what this show is all about. It's about the human spirit, and it's about demolishing the myths perpetuated by the conditioning of status quo that that uh, corrodes our minds so that we expand into the spirit of who we are. And one of the things that's really important to note on this show is you're never going to hear me telling you who you have to be or how to live your life because your soul is telling you that. You don't need anybody outside to tell you who you're meant to be or how to live your life. And I want to make it very clear that you are so much better than the conditioning of this culture. So on this show, what I do is I offer a more expansive worldview that is based on the foundation of compassion, love, simplicity, and truth to inspire choices, behaviors, and actions that come from the place inside of you rather than the fearful conditioned place that holds you hostage to smallness. And, uh, you know, I keep talking about compassion and, and I know a lot of people think that it's soft and fluffy, but as Ken Wilber says, real compassion kicks butt and takes names. If you're not ready for this fire, then find a new age, sweetness and light, perpetually smiling teacher, but stay away from those who practice real compassion because they will fry your ass. My friend. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ken. I couldn't say it better myself. So my intention is to engage critical thought in order to eliminate conditioned thought and groupthink and habitual patterns and the unconscious acceptance of this consumptive reality that we've normalized. So when I, um, in my own life, I aspire to be the best version of who I'm meant to be. And I wake up every morning inspired by a question that Louise Lebrun asked. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard her powerful interviews, I've interviewed her twice in episodes 36 and 58. And I asked myself the question that she has inspired. And that is, how does the God force choose to live today? So that's what I wake up to every single morning. And... um, It's an accountability question. Now, am I always successful with how um, I express the God force? Sadly not. (laughs) Sometimes I fall totally flat. But here's what's different with the way I live my life now. I no longer beat myself up for the glitches. So instead, I notice them so that I can be better next time. And I view glitches as feedback to show me where I can be better. If I was to just beat myself up, then I stall my capacity to expand and become more. So being my best and being our best means being ruthless about our own self-care and being accepting of our glitches, knowing that they're just feedback for expansion. And when I speak of self-care, I mean 
proper sleep, nutrition, exercise, meditation, and, uh, you know, quality time with um, the people and the beings that I love. This is what energizes me. But I want to also make it really clear that energy doesn't just come from your body. It comes from having a mission. It comes from having a calling, from something that you're being pulled by, not something that you're pushing on. So, you know, we live in a culture where we tend to push ourselves to do things, but there's only so much that we can do before we burn out or become resentful. Now, if, on the other hand, we're pulled by something that we want to serve that's greater than ourself, something that excites us, then we're energized beyond words. I mean, it's impossible to articulate, but it's palpable. I know that like when I'm, when I'm really, uh, when I'm amped up and I'm just really driven by my mission, I'm in the presence of others. They just cannot believe my energy. And sometimes I can't either. It's kind of crazy, but it feels amazing. So this is when we unite with purpose and meaning. And this is when we contribute in a way that creates a whole new story and ultimately a paradigm shift. This podcast is a co-creative effort where we unite to create a new story for humanity. And if you think about it, every single one of us is a story embodied. And we're part of our own individual story as well as a collective story. And I'm going to talk about the collective story. So since there are two stories at play in today's world... We have to choose whether to continue living the old status quo story of separation and consumption or we can become a co-creator in the new story of interbeing, which is based on the essence of who we are, love, compassion, creative and authentic expression, purpose, service, simplicity, truth, critical thought and action. All the stuff that I talk about on this show. And this is when we remove the veil between spirit and matter, or in simpler terms, our hearts and our minds. So this show is all about inspiring co-creation with one another and with the natural world from our essence or our spirits or our hearts, whatever language you prefer. So this means that we're no longer dominated by the fear-based belief systems perpetuated by the collective mindset in the paradigm of separation. And instead, we're living with our heads in service to our hearts. So think about that. Our heads in service to our hearts. That means that when we shift our internal power structure with the heart in charge of the head, it almost feels like we're living, well, at least in my case, it feels like I'm living as an entirely different species. I mean, the shift is just so radical in my own life. And I, you know, sometimes I just feel like an alien out, <laughs> out in the world that we've normalized. But, you know, it, life becomes, uh, it's all about love, compassion. Uh, it becomes simpler and it becomes about selfless service. And it just, it comes naturally. I mean, I just can't even imagine it any, any other way. So, in, uh, again, you know, I can really only speak about my own life, but I know that there are others who I have spoken to. So I, what the heck, I'll invite them into this as well. So what happens is it feels weird when we, uh, when we witness the violence and the breakdown that is so prevalent because we know 
that this is not natural. It really just, you know, it's like a really bad dream that we've accepted as a reality. But when we shift the power structure within ourselves with our heart leading the way, we relax into a life of spontaneity and faith and trust and action that it it just pulses effortlessly on its own. So there's less effort required because we're in a state of flow. And also we get to this stage where we're just, we're really cool not knowing where our heart is taking us because we trust that it always has our back and that it's taking us to places that are expansive and loving and meaningful and purpose-driven. And this is the greatest difference between living from the head and living from the heart. When we lead our lives with our heads, which is what we're uh, enculturated to do, we feel like everything is effort. And we're often concocting excuses to play small and remain within the culturally created box that we've been conditioned to believe is safe, which is kind of ironic because we live in a world where most people don't feel safe, which we can easily see with the rampant depression, anxiety, stress, addiction, and violence in today's world. All the stuff that I keep mentioning that is anything but natural. So shifting the paradigm from head to heart is all about faith, trust, Love, compassion, purpose, integrity, authentic expression, creativity. You could probably rhyme this off on your own, right? And of course, action that is based on the spirit of who we are. And here's what's cool. Like I'm noticing that more and more people are waking up and expanding into their soul self to live greater lives of meaning. I mean, all you have to do is look at how many stories there are today of people who are unplugging from status quo to pursue what is calling in their hearts to be fully expressed. And over and over again, I hear stories of people who have left their, their, uh, their highfalutin jobs because they couldn't stand how empty they felt anymore. So they go on to create solutions for a better world that's more congruent with their dreams. Or, you know, I hear stories, so many stories that are comparable to my own. You know, people like myself who have found greater purpose after being struck down by tragedy only to wake up to a greater sense of meaning that needs to be shared in a bigger way. There are more and more and more of these stories of people who are no longer buying into the status quo box of lies and limitation. And personally, I think this is awesome. No, I don't think it's awesome. It is awesome. So with that blossoming new reality, we have an extraordinary opportunity to create massive transformation. So think about it. If enough of us come together with a positive vision for what we're evolving into and we synergize between one another individually and collectively and move forward with a real spirit of possibility and passion, we really can create a massive shift. And this is not a pipe dream. This is a fact based on the very real creative efforts and solutions that are spreading among the growing number of people who have had enough of today's cultural nonsense. So as I've written in my manifesto, the new paradigm being birthed is emerging as a leaderless movement inspired by a collective awakening that no longer tolerates the absence of truth. As the old ways break down, we are clearly able to see the liars and frauds of the power-based structures for the hopelessly lost souls that they are. It is not our job to save them. It's our job to save ourselves by returning to the essence of our authentic humanity, 
love, kindness, courage, compassion, joy, service, truth, and action. So this is a great lead-in to introduce this week's amazing Unplugged podcast guest. Howard Lyman is a man who has been breaking down paradigms for many years. And the first paradigm that he broke down was the paradigm of himself. So Howard was raised as a fourth generation cattle rancher who was actively engaged in large scale industrial animal production, otherwise known as factory farming. And uh, that included dairy and beef cows, pigs, chicken, and veal. Ugh. Anyway, anybody and everybody can change. So in 1979, Howard was diagnosed with a tumor in his spine. And he was faced with the very real possibility of paralysis. And he vowed to change his ways if he beat the cancer. So the operation to remove this tumor was very precarious and he survived. And he began to transform his land into an organic farm. Now, it wasn't until 1990 that he was again faced with some more health problems. And that's when he shifted and became a vegetarian. And in April 1996, Howard became somewhat of an infamous celebrity. In an appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show, he made some remarks about beef production and mad cow disease, and this led Oprah to publicly announce that she would never eat another hamburger again. And I'm sure some of you listening out there probably saw the show. And uh, this led to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association suing both Howard and Oprah. Ugh, all I can do is shake my head. But anyway, after years of, uh, many years of stress and harassment, they were both found not guilty in 1998. So the whole thing is totally absurd and based on a deep-seated paranoia about the public knowing the truth. Ugh, I'm still shaking my head. Anyway, Howard eventually became vegan and he's been changing the world ever since. He's the author of Mad Cowboy and No More Bull and was recently featured in the powerful documentary Cowspiracy. He's also been awarded the Peace Abbey Courage of Conscience Award and he's one of the kindest public voices out there. I've had the pleasure of, uh, well, I met him. Oh my gosh, when was it? Oh dear. I think it was like maybe 2001. I met him a while back, actually, the Toronto Vegetarian Fair. And wow, like such a sweetheart. And after having spoken with him in this podcast, he's actually gotten sweeter with age. He's like, how can that be possible? Anyway, he's amazing. So Howard Lyman is proof that anyone can change at any given time and that there is nothing, nothing, more powerful than acting courageously from love and truth. So get ready for him because Howard Lyman is in the house. Oh, Howard, I am, I am so honored and I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you today. You have no idea, or maybe you do. I'm sure that you have a lot of people who just, just are so thrilled for your existence. Well, uh, I've got a whole bunch on the other side, too. They're <laughs> called cattlemen. 
Well, that's a sign of a life well lived, I think. I think so, yeah. So, so um, you know, one of the things I really like to start with on my show is people's journey into the purposeful and passionate work that they're doing today. And you have been so powerful and so passionate with all the work that you've been doing to change the world for so many years. And I'd love if you could just share maybe just an abbreviated version of what brought you to the person that you are today. Because you have, I mean, the story is so fascinating. Well, uh, I don't know about that. But, (laughs) you know, I started out during the Second World War. My parents owned the largest dairy farm in the state of Montana, and they couldn't hire any help, and so both my mother and father were milking cows and met my brother, two sisters, and I were raised by my grandparents. Well, back then, daycare was working in the garden, and I found the first love of my life, putting my hands in real live soil, and I I just always wanted to be a farmer and ended up going to Montana State University, got a degree in agriculture, came home with all of the new modern methods of chemicals and biologicals. And anyway, I built a agribusiness where I had over 7,000 head of cattle, uh, 12,000 acres of crop and 30 employees. And, but I noticed that that the soil was changing you know, it was from a real live living soil, it turned to something like asbestos. And I would never admit that I was responsible for that until I was paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, a doctor told me I had a tumor on my spinal cord. If the tumor was on the inside of the cord, I had less than one chance in a million I'd ever walk again. Well, I uh, had to admit to myself that I was probably never going to walk again, and a lot of things went through my mind. One of them was what happened to the soil. You know, I saw the birds die, the trees die, and the soil change. And Well, it was the first time in my life I ever really got honest with myself and had to admit that I was responsible for it. And So, fully believing I would never walk again, I decided that the one thing that I was going to do the rest of my life is that I would never again not take responsibility for what I did, and I would never again do anything that I didn't want to do. And uh, they operated on me for 12 hours. They took a tumor out of the inside of my spinal cord. I walked out of the hospital with a one in a million operation. Uh, you know, I had no idea in the world uh, what direction my life was going to go. But uh, when I fulfilled the commitment that I made, when I didn't know whether I would ever walk again, uh, a lot of crazy things happened. You know, I never thought in the world I would ever become a vegetarian. I never thought I would become an animal rights advocate. Never thought that uh, I would be standing up for the environment. Uh, it's been a strange life. I've 
come a long ways. And the only thing that I can say to your listeners is that, you know, do not preclude where you may go because uh, strange things happen when you follow your heart. Hmm. Hmm. And you are definitely a testament to somebody who follows their heart. And I'm just wondering, Howard, how long did it take for this transition to, to happen? I mean, you had this, this tumor that you really, you were, you know, I guess the universe knew that you were going to be a spokesperson, a very powerful spokesperson, I guess, for, uh, for animals and for those who have no voice. And so obviously they knew that you needed to walk and, you know, and here you are today, like all these years later, I remember meeting you, I think it was in the year 2000 when you were speaking at the Toronto vegetarian fair. Does that sound about right? Yep. Okay. And, uh, a mad cowboy had just come out. I had a copy of the book anyways. And I remember speaking with you and, uh, you know, it was just, it was unbelievable. I have never been in the company of somebody who had so much charisma and so much passion and it was amazing. And it was obvious that this awakening that occurred with this health crisis that you experienced really changed you on a very deep level. And I'm just wondering, you know, from, from the time that you were in the hospital and you were operated on to the time that even I saw you in 2000, how long did that transition to this passion actually, uh, how long did it take? Well, I ended up, the operation was 1979. Uh, and, you know, I thought recovering from the the operation that probably the future was to become a an organic farmer. And so I said, uh, I need to borrow some money. Uh, I need to make some changes. And he said, well, yeah, no problem. Uh, what what changes are you going to make? And I said, well, I, I want to become an organic farmer. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, uh, we're not going to lend you money that you're not going to spend with our other customers. He said, uh, if uh, you want to keep doing what you're doing, we'll lend you whatever you need. Uh, you want to become an organic farmer? It ain't going to happen. So anyway, I I sold my farm in 1983. I, you know, I kept working with other farmers not to make the mistakes that I made. Uh, as I kept going down this path, when I kept learning more, then I, I got an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and work on Capitol Hill and you know, I'm a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. I'm passionate about the environment. I, I end up stepping on the scale, and, you know, I'm weighing well over 300 pounds. And, and I thought, you know, I, I need to make some changes. I I thought, well, I'll, I'll become a closet vegetarian. I won't tell anybody about it. Uh, I'll just see what happens and so I became a vegetarian I lost some weight my blood pressure went down uh, my cholesterol went down I thought wow you know if I can do that being a vegetarian just think what I could do if I became a vegan so I became a vegan I lost 150 pounds wow my, my blood pressure went from sky high to normal my cholesterol from 300 to 135 and I thought man I'm on top of the world you know, I love the environment. I, 
I've now figured out how to, to deal with my own health and and no animal has to die for me to live and so here I am um, the late 80s I'm I'm a full-fledged vegetarian I'm an animal rights activist uh, I'm working on Capitol Hill in Washington DC doing what I can for the environment and then I finally woke up to the fact that what's happening in Washington DC is no more than a, a sham and I thought you know if we're really going to change what's going to happen uh, it's got to be at the grassroots and so it was in the late 80s <clears throat> that I uh, finally understood all of the pieces and put them together I left Washington DC and uh, started traveling around the country you know I didn't have any money and nobody knew who I was and and uh, so anybody that would stand still I would talk to them about it and, uh, and you know from from then on it was just you know the audiences got larger I got to know more people I I still had no money. I would leave. My wife and I lived in northern Virginia. Uh, <clears throat> I would leave uh, in my car, and I would head for the west coast, and uh, I would be gone for months. And I would speak all of the way from the east coast to the west coast, and while I was on the west coast, I would stay there and and, you know, I stayed with different people. I never stayed in hotels or motels. I slept on the floors. Uh, I would speak to any group that would would hold still. You know, if I got somebody in a phone booth, I'd talk to them if they couldn't get away. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was every day of your life, you have an opportunity to learn a little more, to, to put another coat of paint on and, you know, you start out and you think you know all the answers. But every day, you learn a little bit more. You know, as we're talking today, there's, there's nobody in the world that loves animals more than I do. Uh, there's nobody that, that you can know of that is, is more concerned about a human health than a, a good plant-based, whole food, vegan diet. But as we're talking today, as important as the animals are, as important as our health is, as we're talking today, the only thing that thinking people should be concerned about today is the environment. Because if we keep going down the path that we're going for the first time in the history of planet Earth, Humans, a species, is modifying the weather on planet Earth. If we keep going the direction we're going, humans, at, at the number that are living on planet Earth, will not survive. You know, the dinosaurs did not realize they were going to become extinct. As we're talking today, humans should realize that we're well on our way to becoming extinct if we continue to do what we're doing. And the one thing 
the one thing that you or I or anybody that's listening today can do is we can support the future of the environment on planet Earth by living our lives on the, the way that will allow humans to survive. And that's a vegan diet. It's doing what we can do every day of our lives for the environment. And if we do that, maybe our children and grandchildren will have a chance, a chance to live on planet Earth as you and I have known it. It's mm. it's so important, you know, that and what just drives me wild is when I see these politicians up flapping their jaw about uh, how they can end up more money so that they can reelect themselves to the best job they've ever had, and uh, at the same time they're foreclosing the future of their children and grandchildren. It just drives me wild. It's quite shocking. I mean, even um, when I saw you uh, 14 years ago, it's amazing how, despite how many people there are speaking up for the environment, um, animals, veganism, there still seems to be an accelerated degradation in the human mind, you know, I mean, it's taking us down this path of potential doom. And, you know, there's this, it's kind of, I, I speak about this regularly about how we're kind of bridging two paradigms right now. There's this one paradigm that seems to be imploding on itself at a rapid rate. It's cannibalizing itself, the one that you're talking about. And there seems to be a new one that's being birthed at the same time where people are waking up to um, this awareness uh, not just for the environment, but more for compassionate reasons. They're waking up to more of a heart-based paradigm. But will it be fast enough? I mean, that's, I guess that's the ultimate question. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's no doubt in my mind by the time I die, uh, the majority of people in North America will be uh, eating a vegan diet. No doubt in my mind about it. The question is, will that happen in time? Yes. Will we do what we need to do fast enough so that we have not changed? You know, once we meet to melt the, the polar ice caps, uh, we, we melt the Greenland ice shield, you know, we're going to raise the ocean levels 20 to 30 feet. Can you imagine uh, the ocean levels coming up 20 to 30 feet? Florida will no longer exist. Uh, New Jersey will be gone. New York City will be gone. Bangladesh will be gone. Uh, the island nations like the Maldives will no longer exist. What are we going to do when one out of every three people on the planet Earth today uh, cannot live where they are today because that area will be underwater? Can you imagine the economic dislocation? I mean, we're, we're going to see something of a magnitude that is unimaginable. And uh, so I'm, uh, I'm doing what I can, trying to, to get people to open their minds, take a look at what's going on. And, uh, you know, as we sit here and talk today, here I am, a fourth generation, former farmer, rancher, feedlot operator, and I will tell you, as I sit here today, that the one thing that, that makes my heart sing 
is the fact that I know that no animal has to die for me to live. That I know that 50% of all of the methane that is going into the atmosphere today is coming from contained livestock. Uh, none of that needs to exist. You know, why in the world can we not open our eyes to see that we're digging our own graves with a fork? Oh, that's a that's a very, very good metaphor. You know, and that brings me to a point, like um, recently there was that uh, giant climate change protest in New York City, and I think there was over 400,000 people. And I remember reading a recent article about how um, this is this is so ironic, and this is what it's very frustrating. But this article stated that there were people seen lining up to buy meat, fish, dairy, and Starbucks at other and other environmentally destructive choices during this parade. And I don't understand why the people who profess to be environmentalists just cannot. They refuse to make that connection. I mean, the cognitive dissonance runs so deep. And I remember in, in the movie Cowspiracy, you very, very clearly and very passionately and very accurately stated, you can't be an environmentalist and eat animal products, period. And, you know, I'd really like if you could expand even more on that, because I think this is just such a crucial topic in today's times. You know, if we went out in North America today and we did a poll, about 79% of the people will classify themselves as vegetarians, or wait a minute, as environmentalists. 79% stand up and say that I am a, an environmentalist. Well, <laughs> the fact of it is, you can't be an environmentalist and be eating animal products. I mean, you just have to wake up to the fact to realize that that you are the biggest demagogue in the world if you are claiming to be an environmentalist and at the same time that you're out there destroying the environment. I spend most of my time today trying to point out to environmentalists why in the world, if they want to be what they claim to be, that they have to change their lifestyle. It's clear. You know, we, we right now have global conferences on, on cutting back the amount of CO2 that's going into the atmosphere, you know, from fossil fuels. And, boy, you know, you don't see anybody out there that's saying we, we need to put more CO2 in, into the atmosphere. But the fact of it is that methane is 23 times more damaging than carbon dioxide, 23 times more, and the majority of the, the methane that's going into the atmosphere today is coming from livestock, contained livestock uh, that the people are eating. So if you're an environmentalist, if you really can take and believe that you care about the environment, the first thing you need to be doing is going to the library. You need to be opening the books. You need to start convincing yourself that 97% of the 
scientists in the world today are correct that we have the first species on the face of the earth that is modifying the weather and that species is the homo sapiens and the thing that that they can do today is they can make sure that their involvement on changing uh, the weather or modifying it is zero and the best way to do that is to end up changing the way they're eating change the way they're living it's you know what this is the th this is the million dollar question is I, I and i keep hoping that somebody has the magic answer but what is it that keeps people so trapped in that indoctrinated mindset of animal consumption that it doesn't matter how many facts and figures and statistics and tsunamis and droughts there are in the world what is it that that stops them from making that one change that one change which actually is so simple i mean you were a cattle farmer you did it <laughs> so i just don't understand like it's like the brainwashing is just so deep no it it's it's not the brainwashing it's the addiction you know uh -huh, i was that's a smoker it. i was a smoker i smoked for 15 years and I'll tell you, there is nobody in the world that has ever smoked that does not realize that it's addictive. And, you know, when, when I decided to quit smoking, I thought, I thought it was the end of the world. But I ended up quitting smoking. And when I became a vegetarian, I was still eating cheese. And when I decided to become a vegan, and I decided to give up eating cheese, you know, it was the same addiction. Mm. It was probably more difficult for me to give up eating cheese than it was for me to quit smoking cigarettes. And so the, the addiction to animal products, it's not the knowledge. Uh, you know, you, you can go out and walk up and down the street and you will not find one person that will walk up to you and say, you know, eating animal products is really good for you. Nobody believes that. You start talking about, uh, you know, eating animal products, and the first thing they want to talk to you is, well, I no longer eat uh, red meat. Right. But <clears throat> they don't want to admit to the fact that they are addicted to animal products, and until we get folks that will understand that kicking that addiction is just as important as taking a breath of clean air. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, if you look at the graphs of where we're going, at the rate we're going, the acceleration of it, uh, the melting of the ice shields, uh, it is just unbelievable that maybe Maybe it's impossible to stop uh, that acceleration, but unless we make the attempt, you know, when I look in the eyes of my six-year-old grandson, I cannot say to him, yeah, Nick, I, I'm unwilling to do everything I can do so you can have a future. I can't say that to him. And if I care enough about his future, I should care enough to be able to kick my addiction of animal products. 
And that's what we have to do. People have to understand it's not what's going to happen to them. It's what's going to happen to future generations. And as we sit here and talk today, if you actually go to the library and you sit down and read the information from the best minds in the world, it is irrefutable that we as a human population are not responsible for modifying the weather on planet Earth, and the modification we're doing of the weather is what is responsible for the stronger storms, the colder weather, the drier that's out there, the hotter, everything, the extremes that are happening is being the modification of the homo sapiens species of the weather on planet Earth. And if we don't kick this addiction in quickly, it may be too late. And, you know, it's just I'm, I've got goosebumps actually hearing what you have to say because you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It feels to me, obviously, I'm getting a visceral reaction, but you, you've hit the nail on the head that it is an addiction. And it's, it's an addiction that's imposed on us right out of the womb. So we're indoctrinated into this addictive mindset. And it's a culturally accepted addiction. Like, I mean, you know, the thing about smoking is it's not accepted anymore. So I think that that's bringing about the demise of the tobacco industry. But because the consumption of animal products is still accepted, you know, it's starting to grow around the world, even at, you know, in China and, and India, these places that normally didn't eat very much meat are starting to eat more meat. So it's just, it's kind of, it's very strange. I'm just wondering, like I'm, it's an interesting time to be alive because it's terrifying at the same time. Who knows what's going to happen? It's, it is accelerating. Everything's accelerating. Will it implode on itself? Like I remember hearing you say in an interview that um, you said that 80% of the people are brain dead and uh, that they're part of the herd following nose to tail and they only see one thing in front of them. And you went on to say that your job is to educate the 20% that are still thinking. And when that majority, uh, when the majority of the 20% that are still thinking decide to go where they need to go, the herd will follow. So I'm just wondering, you know, you said that uh, a few years ago, it was an interview that I watched on YouTube. And, uh, you know, um, you've been out there speaking to the people for so many years. What are your, not necessarily your thoughts, but what's your gut feeling about whether we're getting closer to that 20% for the tipping point of transformation or not. There's nobody in the world <laughs> that is more encouraged than I am. I can remember when I started traveling and speaking and occasionally I was on an airplane and I'd order a vegan meal and, you know, you would never get it. And and so I would call the the stewardess and say where's my vegan meal she'd jump back like it was a communicable disease <laughs> the the word vegan today is the most commonplace word in the world you can go to any truck stop and the weight person will know what a vegan is i mean the the transformation of the information has been phenomenal. The train has left the station. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going in the direction that we need to go, but it's the speed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're talking about 
society and it's not acceptable to smoke. Well, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to take in the, 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 the more civilized parts of the world unacceptable to eat animal products. We need for society to look at it and say, I am not willing to see the future of planet Earth be destroyed with your addiction. And when that happens, and we're going in that direction, but are we going fast enough? I don't know. I do everything that I can do to, to further that area. You know, I, I live in Ellensburg, Washington. Ellensburg, Washington is a, a nice small town, 15,000 people. You know, the, the headquarters of the Washington Cattlemen's Association happens to be in my hometown. They just love me. You know, here I am. We started a vegetarian society here. Uh, we, we end up with every restaurant in this town uh, has a vegan option. You know, my wife went restaurant to restaurant and talked to them and said, if, if you want the people that eat like us to come here, uh, you've got to have an option. And she says, it's not just of the people that are vegan coming here. Just imagine if they're out to dinner with five of their friends. Do you think they're going to go to any restaurant with their five friends that they can't get a meal? And, you know, every businessman in this town that's running the restaurant looks at it and says, I'm unwilling to forego the opportunity of that group of people uh, looking at it and saying, we can't go there because they don't have anything for this one person that eats this way. And so here we have every restaurant in town right now has a vegan option, even though the the biggest dog in town happens to be the, the Cattlemen's Association. Uh, the people look at it and say, well, we're looking about our economic welfare, not yours. And so, uh, you know, do what you can do. Do it as often as you can do it. And remember, we are winning. Are we going to win in time? Yes, yes. I think that's the critical question, and that's where... You know, I, I mentioned earlier how I feel like we're bridging these two paradigms, this one that's imploding on itself and this new one that's being birthed. But will it come out of the womb quick enough? You know, and, and you know, on that same note, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on, you know, there's so many diet fads that are constantly coming out. And we went from, I know, it's crazy. We went from Atkins to paleo. So <laughs> to me, I don't really see much of a difference. I mean, the fads are always, they, they always skirt the truth and never really get to the root of the problem because I guess, as you said, you know, the addiction just runs so deep. So I'm just wondering about your thoughts on these, these crazy fads that just keep coming out. Well, you know, if you, if you look at the crazy diets that are out there, it, it's, it's almost mind-boggling. Uh, you know, how many people even realize that... Uh, Atkins ended up uh, uh, having a heart attack. What could be more apropos? But if you look at diet, it's really simple. You know, you, the, the closer 
your consumption is to the the food as it was produced by nature. You know, if you if you take chips and Twinkies, could be a vegetarian diet. Is it good for you? Absolutely not. You know, just go back. You know, if if you hold up a block of cheese and an apple, which one will your mouth water for? You know, uh, just realize that that the human nature was to eat food that was good for it. Uh, and until they ended up starting processing this food and making it addictive to the to the human diet, uh, we we ate whole food and we were healthy. You know, when you go back and look at Alexander the Great, for example, Alexander the Great, his bodyguards or a thing that was called the Companions. To be part of his bodyguard, which was the, the part of the army that was always in the thick of the battle, uh, you had to be over 65 years of age, and the reason that was because Alexander wanted some people there that had experience, that had been around for a long time, and to be over 65 years of age back then, uh, can you imagine that those people were eating anything other than a plant-based diet? How many people do we have that actually went and read uh, Caesar's diaries? And he was talking about how sick the people were in his legions, and he put them on a vegetarian diet, actually a vegan diet, and he was talking about how much healthier they got. And one time when they were surrounded and they were forced to eat meat, they almost rioted. Uh, you know, it's amazing of how many things that have happened in the world uh, that we just don't seem to be able to make ourselves aware of. Hmm. Yeah. I remember speaking with Chef AJ recently, and she said that we need to... <clears throat> we need to shift our mindset and we need to eat food that is made from plants, not made in plants. And I think that's, that's key because I mean, she's so passionate about pro uh, processed food and, you know, unprocessed food, going back to the whole food way of eating. And I mean, I can say personally that once your palate changes, you can't eat anything that was made in a plant because you just realize the, the, the flavor and the, the nutrient density, you can feel it in your body when you take it in, how much more alive you feel when you eat whole plant food. Well, you know, my wife and I eat a SOS diet, you know, no sugar, salt, or oil. And uh, when, when we end up going to a restaurant, and we, we ask for a salad with no salad dressing, you know, just raw vegetables. Uh, and then they look at you like you came from Mars. They can't believe that you don't want to dump a bunch of oil on, <laughs> on fresh vegetables. <laughs> and and the, taste, the taste is so immaculate uh, when, you, when you get off 
of the addiction when you clean your system out. I, I just, my wife and I, we, we have 13 fruit trees in our backyard. We have nine raised beds. Uh, we're picking our apples right now. Uh, we, we have apples that are almost the size of softballs, and I just had one last night, and, uh, you know, it was a nice Fuji apple. Oh, I'm telling you, it was firm and tasty. And you talk about looking at it in your mouth watering. You cannot imagine anything that could be better. And you know, the only thing that I had to do for that apple was plant the tree and provide a little water. And now I have hundreds, hundreds of apples stored in my own storage facility the rest of the year I'm going to have uh, nice raw apples and oatmeal for breakfast and uh, oh I'll tell you what (laughs) you've got me salivating now (laughs) that sounds so good Um, listen Howard I want to bring it back to you now because I um if you can't already tell, I'm gushing because I love who you are in the world. I love all of the work that you've done for so many years. I am so grateful to have met you, even though it was so long ago. Um, but you know, you're so tireless. You're so dedicated and passionate about your mission to wake people up to really compassion. And I heard you once say that when you do something that you love, you never work a day in your life. And I totally agree with those words, and I'd love if you could expand on what you mean from your model of the world about this, you know, for everybody listening to this conversation. Well, you know, I'm really fortunate. I I was paralyzed at one time. I, I never thought I would ever walk again. Uh, it really made me look inside of myself, and you know, here I was. I was married. I had five children. Uh, you know, the 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 introspect look at yourself, and and asking yourself, what is it that that makes my world sing? And the thing that makes my world sing is to get up in the morning and. And the air is is moist, and the birds are singing, and the trees are are green, and you know my wife has got the oatmeal on, and <clears throat> you talk about living well. Well, I look at it and I say, I'm doing, I'm I'm living the dream. You know, I'm doing what I want to do. I enjoy what I'm doing. I I try to help people open their own eyes, to open their own minds, uh, to enjoy the the planet Earth as much as what I do. And every time, you know, I just was in Tucson this last weekend, and I had the opportunity to to speak to a group down there, and there was a theater they had 500 seats and they were able to fill them all and and I see all of those people and I look at it and I think wow there's enough people sitting in that one building at one time 
to change the entire community of Tucson, Arizona. And having that opportunity to talk to the people, to have the opportunity to try to energize them, not just to stand up and, and clap their hands and say, gee, you really did a good job and I enjoyed it, but basically to say, wow, I need to change what I'm doing the rest of my life. I need to, to adopt a vegan diet. I need to read. I need to understand what's happening to the environment so that when somebody comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, are you really an environmentalist? And you can say, yeah, and this is why. When I had that opportunity, I realized that I was the most fortunate individual alive on the planet. And what I should do is everything that I could do to help those people become part of the message. And when each and every one of us does what we have the opportunity to doing, we're going to change the way that humans behave. Remember that dinosaurs did not know what was going to happen to them, and they became extinct. We have the intellectual capacity that we have the opportunity to understand what the future is possible. Why not change? And as long as I can draw breath, as long as I can do what I do, as long as I can enjoy getting up early in the morning and hearing the birds sing and look at the trees and go out into my garden, as long as I can do that, I'm going to do it. Because there is no doubt in the world now, I am the most fortunate individual that has ever lived on planet Earth. And I am going to share that as often as possible. Oh, so beautiful. I'm just, you know, I know you speak about uh, when you're when you're up there speaking, you want to tap into people's minds. But what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling as a recipient of your, you know, this conversation on the receiving end of this, you're tapping into my heart. And when you tap into my heart, that taps into a higher part of my mind, that higher part of my mind that thinks critically and doesn't just follow the herd with that unconscious thought. And, you know, I think that's, I, I believe that that's the key and I could hear the passion in your voice and passion to me is the heart speaking. That's the heart speaking. And, um, you know, I'd like to dive deeper into that because you, you know, you speak about following your heart and how, um, how that is what, helps you feel like you're not working a day in your life. And I believe that when we follow our hearts and when we allow our hearts to truly express themselves, that that is the key to transforming this world. And, you know, on that note, what is it that drives you? And what are your thoughts on how to tap into the hearts of people so that they stay connected to that place that really is the driver for change? Well, I think, I think we are what we believe we are. Uh, the difficulty is that 
you know, Henry Ford said, uh, uh, if you believe you're right, you're right. And if you don't believe you're right, you're also right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it, it's, it's something that you have to learn, which is basically, do not be negative. If you think you're going to fail, I guarantee you, you're going to fail. But if you look at it and say, <clears throat> I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can. My grandfather, when I was a very young lad, gave me the best piece of advice I ever had in my life. He told me, he said, you can do anything that you can envision. I was young then, I didn't understand the magnitude of what he said to me, but the fact of it is, if you believe you can, and you're willing to put the time and the effort into making it happen, you can achieve it. Look at the, the things that, that people have come up with. You know, very seldom do you find something that was was developed by a committee, the envisioning, the, the seeing the future was always started in the mind of one individual. And look at the things that we have done as a human race. So as, as far as I'm concerned, I get up in the morning and I'm happy. Hmm. I'm full of joy because I know whatever I'm thinking about, I can, if I'm willing to put the time and effort into it, that's going to happen. And so for for me, I, there, there can't be a more joyful person than the, the, the face of the earth, because I'm like a kid in a candy store with a credit <laughs> card. Man, it couldn't be better. <laughs> no. <clears throat> so, you know, for me, you know, I'm just looking for for opportunities to go and and it isn't what I'm able to do. It's what I'm able to energize other people around me uh, to pick up the pieces and make it happen. My job is just to go out there and see the future as I believe it should be mm. and then just help everybody see that future and we're going there. There's no doubt in my mind. What we come back to, it's all about speed. Are we going to do it before we destroy ourselves? Yeah, and I think that's that's the key belief that we need to... I think that's where hope and faith come in. I mean, that's where they play a huge part, is that the question is out there, will it be fast enough? And if we get too caught up in that question, it's easy to fall into despair. And, and, and then, you know, like the steam, the momentum is lost. But if we believe that there's a definite chance, like you seem to make it, you know, you, you're very aware of the fact that it may not happen in time, but that's not preventing you from continuing on with the passionate purpose that you're, you know, that you're living so beautifully and so, so powerfully. I mean, did you have any idea over the years 
that you would have the following, the passionate following that you have? No, no. And, and you know, I don't do what I do for the adulation of people or somebody who say, you know, my, my high school class, I, I went to my 50th class reunion and, and I was ended up voting the most famous member of the class. What a deal. Oh, man, you talk about that and a drink of water? Why, it's crazy. It isn't, it isn't about the adulation. You want to go with the self-satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Did, did I do what I believed in? Did I do it as well as possible? You know, every time I go and I speak in front of an audience and we're the largest audience I think I've ever spoken to live was about 15,000. I think the smallest was two. The question that I always ask myself, did I do the best job I could do? Did I attempt to do it as well as I could humanly do it? And if at the end of, of that presentation, whether it was to two or 15,000, if I could answer to myself, I did as well as I could. And the one thing I always enjoy is if my wife is in the audience, because I guarantee you, after the talk, on the way home, I'm going to turn around and say to her, well, and she is the most clear-voiced critic I have ever had in my <laughs> life. Wow. And I think that's that's the key is and that's something that we speak a lot about on this show as well is selflessness. It's you, you had no idea that who you were about to become would have the impact that you have today and it doesn't matter because you're not doing this for anybody but your own heart really you're just following your own destiny that selfless pursuit of purpose and that to me is the most beautiful thing and it it makes me it reminds me of something that my father said uh, when I was a young girl and he said Debbie you can please some of the people some of the time but you can't please all the people all the time. And he said, stay in your truth because that's all that matters. And I never forgot that. And you know, like you mentioned that your grandfather said something and you didn't really know what it meant at the time. And I didn't know what this meant at the time, but it stayed with me. So obviously on a soul level, I did know. And it's amazing how when we stay in our truth, it really is all that matters. Well, you know, we're we're fortunate. I think this is the most important period of human history that we have ever had. Each and every person that's listening today realizes that they can get into the game. They don't have to sit on the sidelines. They don't have to stand up and cheer. They don't have to hope that the team does uh, what needs to be done. They can get out there and they can get on the field and they can get in the game And I'm telling you, whether we win or lose, this is the most important game the human species has ever been involved in. What could be better than having the opportunity 
to be part of the solution mm. that you can envision. And so for me, this is the greatest time to ever been alive in that the, the events of human history. And I'm just thrilled to death that I have the opportunity of getting on the field and getting my uniform dirty and doing what I believe in. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and you used to be a football player, right? Yeah, I did that too. You know, I, I was one of the first 300-pound football players in North America. And, uh, if I had that to do all over again, I wouldn't do that again. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Howard, you actually remind me so much of my father, and you bring back really beautiful and nostalgic memories. But my father, actually, he played professional football for the uh, the Canadian Football League many years ago. So there's a, there's a lot of parallels, except the only thing is he died in 1999 of lifestyle choices that were easily preventable and you woke up. So there's, there's a difference. And I wish he'd just followed your path. He would have, and his own advice too. But, uh, anyway, I want to, um, I want to bring it back again to you because we're, we're on this topic of, of connection and inspiration. And I'd love if you could share, just go in a little bit deeper with what, what a, an inspired life looks like for you. Well, you know, the, the the thing that I would say that what inspires me is joy. Mm. If, if what I'm doing is correct with the universe, uh, my life is, is mystical. It's, it's, it's like playing poker and, and drawing to an inside street every day. And here I am. I do what I love. I, I have the opportunity to meet the, the finest group of people in the world. And it isn't because they're all enlightened that they all think exactly as I do. You know, if, if somebody said to me, give me the, the perfect audience, it would be fourth graders. <laughs> I believe. Yes. Fourth graders, you know, they, they're, they're inquisitive. They want to know what's going on. They love animals, and they care about their parents' health. The greatest group in the world. So for me, I get up in the morning. I, I do what I want to do. The, the, the joy that I have in my life that when I'm doing what I'm doing, and it makes me feel good, it just sings with my spirit. And for me, it's it's like I'm on the greatest addiction in the world. You know, it is non-imperative. And uh, I just keep doing what I love to do. And it makes me feel great. And I look in the eyes of the children and I'm able to say to them, I'm doing everything I can do to assure you a future. That gives me great joy it gives me great joy just hearing that too and i can feel i can feel the energy behind your words too and again this is like this is the second time i've got goosebumps hearing you so my soul is very happy speaking to you and hearing your words howard i just have one more question for you and this is um this is my my fantasy question that i love to end with and uh and to end on some inspired hope and it's, if you had a magic wand and could wave it over the planet, 
what kind of world would you create? Wow. You know, I, I guess if I had the opportunity to change the entire world, I would do it for one thing, compassion. You know, when I see a, a dog or a cat and, and I see that they're comfortable within their world, and they don't ask for a whole lot. They, you know, you, you come home and, and they don't come up to you and say, you know, you're half an hour late. Uh, my water is stale in my bowl. They run to the door and they share with you love. Unconditional love. Why don't we do that for all of the other species on planet Earth. Why do we not, as humans, share the compassion for all other species? And, you know, I drove down the road the other day and there was a bird in the road. And I slowed down some so that I didn't hit the bird. And I thought about it, you know, that bird is doing what is good for it. It has a family at home. It enjoys uh, going out and, and achieving a meal and going home and they sit on the branch and they talk to each other. Why should we not, as a species, attempt to share the compassion with all other species on planet Earth because when I do it, it makes the world such a much better place for me and I hope for all of the other species. And so if I wave my wand over planet Earth, it would be about compassion. Every listener that's out there today, just realize one thing. If a fourth generation farmer, rancher, feedlot operator can make the change, can be compassionate about animals, adopt a vegan diet, and work every day for the environment. If he can do it, I can do it. Oh, Howard, you are such a beautiful man. Thank you. Thank you. I am I'm so moved, and I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you today. And I, I thank you for being who you are, and thank you for sharing that and not keeping it to yourself. Well, thank you for being on this planet, Deb, and thank you for doing what you're doing. And remember, if we all put our shoulder to the wheel, it'll be a lot easier than if we have to move the wagon alone. And there he is, Howard Lyman, a very special man indeed. And he's a powerful example for transformation, for living from truth and purpose, for speaking out for those with no voice, for embracing the, the simple joys in life, and for making compassion the driving force in life. And if you couldn't already tell throughout that conversation, I 
I adore Howard. I really love that man. And I'm so grateful that he said yes to a conversation with me so I could then share it with you. And I'm always really excited to speak with people who share my vision for a kinder, more compassionate world that is based on the essence of who we are and who also not only see that it's already happening, but who are actively working to make it happen despite not knowing what the final outcome is going to be. And as I already mentioned in the introduction, on a macro level, things look iffy for the state of the world, but on a micro level, there's a paradigm shift that seems to be happening at an accelerated pace. So personally, I'm going for broke and I plan to stay on, on the course of action that turns this ship around. So, you know, how about you? <laughs> Howard made it simple. Go vegan, do what you believe in and do it as well as possible and live with gratitude and joy. It's simple and easy if you engage. And engagement is really critical because talk is cheap. There's so many talking heads out in the world who don't act. Makes me crazy. People who say they're going to do things and they don't. Does that make you crazy or is it just me? Drives me berserk. But anyway, talk is cheap. So, But engagement and action is where the, the rubber hits the road. So if you head back to my website, I'm going to be listing all of Howard's uh, information, his books and all sorts of other goodies. They're all going to be listed in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com backslash Howard Lyman. So head back to the website and check it out. And while you're there, sign up for my list and get your copy of the Status Quo Crusher Revolution Manifesto, which is a free download just by signing up. And I thank all of you who have already read it and are engaging with it and who have already sent me these amazing, uplifting, encouraging notes to let me know how much it means to you. And I I thank you. As you know, I put my heart and soul into this and uh, more to come. And uh, yes, more to come. I am like deep in the throes of editing the book that I keep talking about that is mm, an offshoot of this podcast. And hey, you know what? There's a whole bunch more that are coming as well. So lots of writing, lots of writing, which is one of the reasons why I shifted from a weekly podcast to a bi-weekly podcast so that I could focus more on the writing. So there's lots of great stuff coming and, and more great podcast interviews as well. And if you're loving this podcast, please help spread the word and head over to iTunes and give it a review and a rating. And this is a wonderful, beautiful, selfless co-creative way to help spread this message. And I am grateful to all of you for your ongoing support. Um, Yeah, there you have it. That's it for this week. The end of another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.